Welcome to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church in Harvest, Alabama. We invite you into our sanctuary as we dive into God's Word with our pastor, Dr. Al Perringer. Well, tonight I want to continue what we have been studying, truth for life, knowing the truth about Christ, knowing the truth about God, knowing the truth about Scripture, knowing the truth about ourselves, so we know how to live for Him. How are we to live in such a dark world? How are we to live in enemy territory? And so I'm using creeds and confessions to help us get that foundation that we need uh, for that, the truth that we have in Scripture. I mean, the gospel gives us life, but then it directs our lives. It tells us how to live. And so we know that Scripture ultimately is our final authority. But the, the creeds and the confessions are able to summarize for us what it is that Scripture says about certain very important topics. And uh, still, some people, there are people out there, <clears throat> I mean, I, actually, I see it on social media all the time, that scoff at the idea of using any sort of creed or confession or, or anything like that. But uh, B.H. Carroll, who was a pastor and theologian and he was the first president of Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, and he gave uh, what I think is a good response to those uh, scoffers. And, and he said this, he said, a Christian's creed should enlarge and not diminish up to the last utterance of revelation in order that each article might be transmitted into experience. You know, take that creed and what Scripture says and make it experience. A church with a little creed is a church with a little life. The more doctrines a church can agree on, the greater its power and the wider its usefulness. The fewer its articles of faith, the fewer its bonds of union and compactness. The modern cry, and he's writing in the 1800s, the modern cry, less creed and more liberty, is a degeneration from the vertebrate to the jellyfish and means less unity and less morality, and it means more heresy. Definitive truth does not create heresy. It only exposes and corrects. Shut off the creed, and the Christian world would fill up with heresy, unsuspected and uncorrected, but nonetheless deadly. So... Knowing what we believe and why we believe it is important, especially with so much stuff being thrown at us. I mean, it's just pounding at us, be it atheists, but be it heresies, be it false teachers, everything is pounding at us, and so we need to have this solid foundation as a church and as individuals. Now, we've looked at the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed I did last week, and you miss any part of uh, those, those studies, uh, you can go to the podcast or you can go to the YouTube channel and always uh, find it there. But we've looked at the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed as succinct summaries of like, okay, this is at minimum what Christians should believe. Well, tonight, I want to begin looking at confessions of the faith. And confessions are longer summaries of very important doctrines, and it helps ensure that Christians stay on the road of orthodoxy They don't veer off to the left or veer off to the right. They stay within what Scripture says. Now, I want to first kind of consider a quick history about these uh, confessions. 
so we kind of understand, well, where did they come from? Why do we have them? Well, obviously, I mean, it, we, we see them, the first area, I guess, where they're born from is the Protestant Reformation. The Reformation, you know, where started with Martin Luther. He wanted to reform the Catholic Church. The Catholic Church didn't want Reformation, so he said, fine, I'm going to follow Scripture. I, here I stand. I can do no other. Martin Luther said, and many followed him by the grace of God. But the Reformation established some very important truths. First, it established that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. It is so important to have a pure gospel. I mean, think of what Paul said in Galatians chapter 1. If me, or an angel, or anybody else comes preaching to you a gospel other than the gospel that I had preached to you, let them be accursed. Let them be anathema. Let put it in some very crude modern vernacular, let them fry because they're messing with the gospel. And you don't mess with the gospel. It's so important to have a pure gospel. The Reformation said that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, the glory of God alone. But then second, it turned us to the importance of Scripture alone for the basis of our authority, faith, and practice. And so, yeah, the Protestant Reformation was a great start in the early 1500s, but from there, we next look at the Puritan movement of the later 1500s, early 1600s. After the Protestant Reformation, I mean, England, they, they had created a church of England was, that had been uh, established, but a lot of the church of, of England still held on to a lot of the doctrines and practices of the Roman Catholic Church. There were those who wanted to purify the church from those doctrines and practices, hence they're called Puritans. Now, mind you, when I give this summary and when I give this history, it's very minimalistic. I, I am very much just scratching the surface, so to speak. And there's a whole lot of church politics and government politics that went into play with everything that was going on there. But the Puritans wanted the church to have a right faith because a right faith will lead to a right practice, which will re lead to a right life. Um, so a lot of what the Puritans had to deal with was in response to heresies uh, that appeared during the time. The Roman Catholic Church wasn't the only, you know, doctrinal enemy that they were kind of fighting. I mean, there were other heresies that uh, grew up. It doesn't, take, it doesn't take a lot of time for heresies just to pop up. I'll tell you what, the Protestant Reformation happened, and people already were starting to twist uh, things around. So what the Puritans did, and really what the, the next generations from the Puritans did, was they created confessions of faith in order to refute the errors that were out there so that they could hold on to the truth of what Scripture said. Now, the confessions were a result of assemblies of church leaders that gathered together. They wanted to ensure the purity of the faith. Now, what are some of the confessions that were born from this? One such confession is the Westminster Confession of Faith, that was drawn up in the 1640s. Uh, while it generally was used by those who wanted to purify the Church of England, it really found uh, much support uh, amongst the Presbyterians. Then also in the 1640s, the Baptists drew up a confession of faith that was 
It was known as the First London Baptist Confession uh, of Faith, but then later in uh, the middle to late of that century, uh, a second Baptist Confession was written, and it was written in the 1670s, but there was an assembly that happened in 1689 that said, yeah, this is, this is what we believe, this is what we hold on to. And so in 1689, they accepted it as a proper confession of faith uh, for Baptists. And so it's referred to as, strangely enough, the Second London Baptist Confession of Faith. But it's actually more commonly referred to as the 1689 Baptist Confession of Faith because that's when that assembly happened and, and they, all these pastors that came together said, in 1689, yes, this is what we are going to believe. You know, and you're like, yeah, but that's over in England. You know, that's over, over in Europe. Well, in the next century, that same confession, with some minor adjustments, was actually uh, adopted in America in 1742. It's known as the Philadelphia Confession of Faith because, well, that's where, the, they, that's where the assembly happened. It happened in, in Philadelphia. Years down the road in the 1800s, the, that particular Baptist Confession of Faith was the Confession of Faith that Charles Spurgeon used in his church, and it actually is the Confession of Faith that was used when the Southern Baptist Convention was first organized. Then, when some of the first Southern Baptist seminaries uh, began to appear, uh, they used the 1689 Baptist Confession of Faith uh, to write up their abstract of principles. I know that's true for the uh, Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville. There's probably at least one other, I would assume it would be Southwestern, but maybe some of the others as well. Um, now, the, 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 the reasons that the Baptists didn't just say, hey, we like the Westminster Confession of Faith, let's just grab onto that. I mean, really what they did was they took the Westminster Confession of Faith and then they, you know, changed it to make it more Baptist style. Because, you know, the Westminster Confession of Faith, it, uh, because, again, Church of England and then the Presbyterians, it, it had paedo-baptism in it. The word paedo-baptism means baptizing babies. And so that's, again, why the Presbyterians, they're like, yeah, you know, Westminster Church with the Westminster School, it's a Presbyterian church. It's, they hold to the Westminster Confession of Faith. And so Baptists, well, we don't do that, right? We believe in baptism of the believer, believer's baptism. And so uh, other than the baptism issue, the confessions are very quite similar, actually. And so they, they, but obviously we, as Baptists, we would hold more in common with the 1689 confession than with the, the Westminster confession. So what I'm going to do in our study is I'm going to use the Baptist confession of faith as a springboard uh, for the particular subjects that we want to talk about. But I will... Uh, reference also the Westminster Confession of Faith to supplement what it is that they say, because again, they're very similar. Other than that whole baptism thing, they're very uh, similar. Now, in full transparency, we probably would not agree with 100% of the Baptist Confession of Faith. They're like, well, wait a minute, it's a Baptist Confession of Faith. Why wouldn't we agree with it? Well, you know, we'll agree with 95% of it, and maybe even a little bit more than that. 
But we, we have to remember the times from which these confessions were born. Both of these confessions, the Westminster Confession and the London Confessions, the Baptist Confessions, they were brought forth by Reformed theologians and pastors, meaning that they lean more toward the Reformed theology side of things. But you'll actually find out that you agree much more with the Reformed side of things than, well, than you do with the Arminian side of, of things. Uh, Baptists has, have always leaned more toward Reformed than Arminian, obviously, but we, we might not agree with every single thing in the London Baptist Confession of Faith, the 1689, but we're sure going to agree with a whole lot more of it than we disagree uh, with it. But I wanted to put that caveat in there just to forewarn you because I didn't want anyone to go around saying Al's trying to make us a bunch of Calvinists. Well, no, I've, I forewarned you that it's going to be in there, but you know, we're, we're, going, to have to, we're going to have to wrestle with that those particular sections, you know, with that theology when, you know, when uh, we get there. But, you know, this is uh, probably the closest we're going to get to a very strong confession of faith. I know we have the Baptist faith and message in the Southern Baptist Convention now, but let's be honest, if, if the Southern Baptist Convention can't even define what a pastor is, yeah, maybe that, maybe that Baptist faith and message isn't as strong as it used to be or was thought to be. And so this is, this is meaty stuff that we just have to wrestle with. Now, again, I want to make clear that confessions are not substitutes for Scripture, but they help us define and sort out what it is that Scripture says. As one author states it this way, he says, far from denying or competing with the authority of Scripture, a historical biblical confession such as the 1689 actually promotes and confirms the scriptures as our final authority. If there is any doubt in our minds, the confession removes it in the very first line of the confession that we'll look at tonight. It says the holy scripture is the only sufficient, certain, and infallible rule of all saving knowledge, faith, and obedience. But the confession affirms more than the authority of scripture. It affirms that these authoritative scriptures actually teach specific doctrines. The authoritative scriptures will do us no good if we cannot say what they actually teach. The confession expresses the conviction that the scriptures deliver to us a coherent, life-altering body of teaching, what we call the faith. And that's what we have. And so I have a sheet that's attached to the prayer sheet. Um, you know, we're going to start looking at these confessions and seeing the doctrines that they teach. And we'll just start right at uh, the beginning. Now, I'm going to use, uh, remember when those confessions were written back in the 1600s? They spoke a little bit differently than we do. So I'm going to use versions that have a little bit more modern language. You know, you might see other versions on the internet that have a little bit different language, but uh, I, I just always have trouble saying the these and the thous and the f at the end of verbs, so I, 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 I use the more modern versions. And, and so the f first chapter and the first section of the chapter is about the whole, Holy Scriptures, and this is what it says. The Holy Scriptures are the only sufficient, certain, 
and infallible standard of all saving knowledge, faith, and obedience. The light of nature and the works of creation and providence so clearly demonstrate the goodness, wisdom, and power of God that people are left without excuse. However, these demonstrations are not sufficient to give the knowledge of God and his will that is necessary for salvation. Therefore, the Lord was pleased at different times and in different ways to reveal himself and to declare his will to his church, to preserve and propagate the truth better and to establish and comfort the church with greater certainty against the corruption of the flesh and the malice of Satan in the world, the Lord put this revelation completely in writing. Therefore, the Holy Scriptures are absolutely necessary because God's former ways of revealing His will to His people have now ceased. You know, that last part meaning that you know, we don't have prophets and apostles as in the days of the New Testament and Old Testament and things like that. And so tonight, I mean, we're almost at time. I just want to quickly highlight two words from this section of the confession. The confession says that, that scriptures are a standard. Other versions will say, the older versions will say the rule. They are the rule. They are the standard. And that scriptures are revelation. It is God's revealed standard to mankind. God has made his will known and he has given his guidelines for humanity through the Bible where he gives us commandments and he shows us the path to salvation, the way of salvation, who is Jesus Christ. And it shows us the way of life, again, who is Jesus Christ. And therefore, knowing this and knowing how inspired Scripture is, Paul was able to say to Timothy, or write to Timothy, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 15 through 17, how from childhood you, Timothy, have been acquainted with sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Scriptures can tell you how to get saved. All Scripture is breathed out by God, inspired by God, and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped, for every good work. Paul's saying, Scripture alone is the inspired revelation of God by which we can become wise for salvation. It's through Scripture that we are taught what to do and how to live. It's by Scripture that we are reproved of our wrongdoings. It is through Scripture that we are corrected so we can undo the wrong and, and do the right. And we are trained and equipped to fulfill the work that God has for us. What, however it is that he has built us. Only Scripture is able to do that. As the Confession states it, only Holy Scripture is sufficient. That means that only Scripture is adequate for the purpose for which God had, in, had intended. Only Scripture is sufficient for the teaching and reproofing and the correcting and the training. Only Scripture is sufficient to point us to our Savior, Jesus Christ. Only Scripture is sufficient to give us the commands by which to live by. Only Scripture is sufficient to be our guide as the Holy Spirit illumines it and its meaning for us so we know how to live for it. That's, that's why we got to be careful with that whole, you know, God told me to do this, that, and the other thing. Well, how do you know that it wasn't just the imagination of your own heart? How do you know that it wasn't the lie, a lie of the devil? The only way we know is by taking it 
and comparing it to the all-sufficient Scripture. Now, I mean, you know, I mean, the Scripture isn't going to tell you where to buy a house and when to buy a house and what house to buy and things like that. But there are principles to live by. And if you live by those principles, you can rest assured God will lead you and guide you. The confession also says that only Scripture is certain. That means only Scripture is unquestionable. Only Scripture can be relied upon. Only Scripture is the solid foundation upon which we can base our life because it leads us to the solid rock, who is Jesus Christ. Is Christ who saves, but how do you know who Christ is? How do you know what Christ accomplished? How do you know what the gospel is? Because Scripture points us to Christ. Christ is the cornerstone. Christ is the foundation. And how we know him is through Scripture. Only Scripture is certain enough to provide the solid ground that we need for our spiritual feet. It says that Scripture is infallible, and we normally team that word with the word inerrant. And what it tells us is that Scripture is without error and can never be mixed with error. How do you know your feelings and what you think about God is telling you the truth? By matching it with Scripture. How do you know what a preacher or teacher says is truth? By matching it with Scripture. Don't take my word for it. Take what I say to Scripture, right? Whatever Scripture speaks on is truth, and it's never going to lead us astray. So that means that Scripture is trustworthy. I mean, if Scripture wasn't trustworthy, how, how do we know what standard there is? How do we know what rule for life there is? How do we know what the faith is? How do we know who Christ is and what he has done? If Scripture is not trustworthy, then it can't be the divine revelation of God, because God is a God of truth. He can't be mixed with error. So Scripture is not trustworthy. I mean, how do we know we're saved? If we're going to put our trust in something, it has to be trustworthy. You wouldn't put, you know, you wouldn't put your trust in anything that's of questionable authority or questionable origin. Questionable accuracy, if you weren't sure if something was accurate, you wouldn't put your trust in it. And so we pray that the Holy Spirit gives us understanding of what God revealed about himself and his ways through his word. And we pray for those who do not know Christ and who do not believe this word. Who, you know, you think of the the parable of you can call it the parable of the sea, the parable of soils, parable of the sower, whatever. You know, he, the sower is throwing out the word of God. It lands on all sorts of different soils. And there's people out there who it's just like the soil that was kind of off the... I'm the not pa- sure I understand. Forgot to turn that off. Uh, you don't understand because you're lost. That's why, Siri. You're lost. That's why you don't understand. Oh, these things are only spiritually discerned. So y'all pray for my watch. It's lost. Needs the gospel. But it, it's a strange illustration, but I mean, that's the problem. There's people out there, they're lost, and they're not able to discern what's in the Scripture. Because, you know, the one that went on the rocky ground, okay, Satan Satan took, to, you know, the birds come, take it away. That's Satan taking away the Word of God. You have the ones that, that are, um, you know, very hard ground, and they couldn't get a root, and so, you know, they, they're lost. You got others that are choked out by the cares of this world. Uh, you know, the, the, just, the, the word is out there, but it's not being taken in because it's spiritually discerned. We need to pray that the Holy Spirit would open people's eyes to the truth of the gospel as given in the word so that they do know Christ and, and follow Christ. And, 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 you know, that we would be 
uh, we, we need to pray that we would be good stewards of this word. To not only you know, bring it in and live it out in our own lives, but you know, to be able to faithfully be able to tell it to other people and share it with other people and, and point people to Christ uh, through it. And we need to stay you know, solid because there's just so much error out there. You know, not that I 100% completely understand everything in Scripture. I mean, I, I don't. But we, we learn, we grow, and now we, we just want to pray that we faithfully give that word out uh, to others. You know, out of all my prayers, what I, I keep praying is, Lord, please do not let me teach any sort of error. I mean, obviously, that, that, that's, that's my thing. I'm a pastor. I'm a preacher. I'm preaching God's word. And I'm like, Lord, don't let me teach error. Prevent my mouth and my mind from doing that because I, I don't, you know, I got plenty I got to answer to God for. I do not want to have to answer to God for teaching his word wrongly. And so pray with me that I would teach it rightly. Pray that you would learn it rightly, not, not just from my teaching, but from your own time in Scripture, and that we share it rightly uh, with other people. Because Scripture alone is the only sufficient, certain, and infallible standard or rule of all saving knowledge, faith, and obedience. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at harvest-baptist.org or find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. You can also find info on our children's ministry on Facebook at Harvest Baptist Children's Ministry or on Instagram at KidsQuest underscore HBC. Our student ministry is on Facebook at HBC Vertical Student Ministry and on Instagram at VSM underscore HBC. We welcome you to join us on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. We are located at 8999 Waltrana Highway in Harvest, Alabama. Thanks for listening and God bless.